What's the goal of the FNF Coaches Podcast? We want you to learn something from the best coaches in high school football. We hope that you'll jot down some notes that will help you improve your program. Welcome to the FNF Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Today's guest is one of the biggest social media influencers in high school football, Coach Kurt Hines. He's the coach at Coronado High School in California. He kicks off FNF Coaches Appreciation Month by sharing his inspiration for coaching and how he continues to inspire others through his platform. April is Coaches Appreciation Month, and we at FNF Coaches will be honoring coaches from all over the country for their commitment and sacrifice they make on behalf of student-athletes. Follow us on Twitter, at FNF Coaches. We'll be announcing Coach of the Year winners from each state that played high school football this fall, and we'll be doing giveaways for coaches, including a bundle pack that includes a drone. If you want to receive a notification on your phone every time we produce our weekly podcast, subscribe to FNF Coaches on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, or Google Play. Go ahead and give it a five-star review. To check out new content each and every day, visit FNFCoaches.com. Let's get to the interview with Coach Hines. Coach Hines, welcome to the pod. I appreciate you having me on. How you doing? Good, good. And we're really excited about you coming on the podcast. This is, we're just kicking off today on April 1st, Coaches Appreciation Month. And uh, so we want to recognize the coaches that are inspiring, you know, players, students, uh, student athletes all across the country. And, uh, you know, we know that you're an inspiring coach. And um, you continue to inspire on Twitter. So thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. I, I didn't know there was such a month of, as a uh, Coach's Appreciation Month. Yeah, no, this is our first one, inaugural one, because, um, you know, it's been a challenging year for uh, high school teachers, high school coaches. And uh, we want to recognize, you know, all they've done to kind of keep things going in the last year. How are things going right now out in California? Yeah, I'll tell you great right now it's, it's a crazy state i i love where we live but my wife and i are both uh born and raised east coast you know barrington rhode island and, and she was raised in boston massachusetts just outside we moved out here six years ago this august 1st uh because we had a grandson love the weather love the people the politics <laughs> that's, that's a whole nother story and right. the gas prices um the thing things are great now i, I teach elementary school I teach at a private little Christian school, but we've been back in campus or on campus with our kids since August. We've been with them since day one, which is a tremendous blessing. Football-wise, yeah. we just started our season, right. so we're getting ready for our third game uh, tomorrow night. Wow. And now, how is that? Uh, one thing I've been thinking about with California coaches recently is when I'm talking to coaches in other states it's uh you know this is a big strength development time of year when you're you're really trying to get guys bigger faster stronger and since you didn't really know in the fall exactly when you were going to be starting or when things were going to get going uh how do you think that will affect you know football on on the big picture you know how how will it affect high school football in California I believe the effects are going to last for, for a few years believe it or not uh, simply because, as you mentioned, you know, with us, we have most teams in California now are finishing our season on April 17th, somewhere around there. Right. So that, that eliminates spring ball for us. And a lot of other sports will still be in session then. And as coaches, you hope you respect your players and the desire to play other sports. So the strength and conditioning, the spring ball will look completely different 
and we're still not sure whether or not we'll be able to be back in our weight room come summer. Right. So that that's a, a whole other battle that's before me as far as convincing my AD to allow us to bring all the weights outside and uh, just transport them every day, which uh, not ideal, but I'll gladly do it if that's what it takes. Yeah. And what about recruiting? Are you finding, I mean, I'm sure there are guys that are graduating, you know, this year in 21 who didn't get a chance to play in the fall. Is it too late for those guys or do they still have a chance? Being the optimist that I am, I don't ever think it's too late. Matter of fact, I just emailed a coach this morning that reached out to me uh, from Pacific University. Um, so I share the contact information of, of uh, several young men. I believe uh, it would be a good fit for them. Um, but their backs definitely are in the corner. You know, it, it's one of the things where for all the other states, and I'm very happy for them. But those states that already had a season, those young men and those young women already have film. In many cases, those, those open positions, if you will, uh, recruiting slots are, are filled by now. So it's never too late. You know, sometimes the path our young men will have to take will be a little bit different. They may have to go the JUCO route or, or something else. And, but if they have a desire and the ability to play and the, the passion to stick to it, uh, we'll find a home for them. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, that's what you that's what we've had to do uh, in the coaching community in the last year is just find ways to be creative and give these kids a chance. You know, it's it was awful for kids who missed out on uh, – football in the fall but now we're giving them that chance to play you know in california at least this spring so that's a it's a great thing to do now i want to like i said with coaches appreciation month we want to inspire and we know that you're um i think you do some motiva- motivational speaking don't you i i do and not by design oh it's, yeah it's, it's one of those things that just uh god opened some doors for me years ago to, to speak um i think a lot of coaches speak at clinics uh Several years ago, I was asked to speak at Fidelity Investments, and that kind of grew into some other business opportunities. Uh, just last spring, before COVID hit, uh, my wife and I were flown out to the Bahamas to speak to uh, ADT Security. Um, but the thing I, thing I love about that, uh, Dan, is when I was first approached for those things, and not, not kind of like a humble brag, truly I, I was doubting myself, thinking, what, what does a high school football coach have to offer these businessmen and women? And I'm not downplaying the role I have in my platform as a coach. That's huge, and I love it. Um, but what I've come to realize is that most business owners, not all, but many of them, are former athletes themselves. Right. And, and even if they're not, they're all leaders, and they want to learn from people uh, from different walks of life. So just like we teach our young men and young women, you know, football is a tremendous platform to not just play a game we love and coach a game we love, but to change some lives and it, it, it's been evident in my own life as well, where a lot of doors have been opened because of the platform I have and choose to use the way I coach. Yeah. Yeah. I used to have a coach that said, you know, you're not just going to learn about football here. We're here to learn, learn about life too. And it really does prepare you with the habits and the discipline and everything else that you gain from that experience. Um, I want to go back to your, the, the start of your experience with football. I know you played all the way up through the college level uh, what was your first experience? When did when did you first start uh, playing football? Uh, as, as a fat little second grader, I uh, I think my parents had signed me up in first grade for soccer, <laughs> and I vividly remember running down the field as a fat little kid, having the ball kicked far away from me, having to turn around, keep running, and it was like this ping pong tennis match of me running back and forth, at least in my mind. Uh, then my father signed me up for baseball that spring. Uh, I got hit twice at practice. Um, I think it was second grade. 
first, second grade. So it, it wasn't a hard pitch, but uh, I remember the coaches saying, hey, go take a base. <laughs> and even at a young age, I remember thinking to myself, he just hit me. Like, why can I not hit him back, you know? Yeah. So uh grew up playing football in, in second grade. Uh, loved it. Played all the way through high school. And, uh, and I share with my players all the time. I chose to play Division three football in college because I wanted to play football. And what I mean by that is I could have walked on to several D1 teams, but I wasn't that good. I, I, I really wasn't. The passion was there. I was good enough for my high school. Um, so you know, I caution our young men not to go to college, a, a particular college, so mom and dad can wear a certain sweatshirt. But go where you can compete. I'm not saying easy path, but go where you see there's a good fit so you can academically and athletically compete and thrive. So that's why I chose to uh, – go to D3 route and, and continue playing football. Now, when you first started as a football player, or even, you know, thinking back to high school, were you always a natural leader or was that something you developed, you know, through mentors? Gosh, that's a great question. I think it's a combination of both. I, I, I feel like I've always been a people person. I've always got a, got a high, if you will, of, of empowering others. And I don't think that word empower was ever in my vocabulary or my, my heart through even college, to be honest with you. But I do vividly remember um, seeing classmates with special needs or players on our team that maybe struggled more and just not only not bullying them, but going out of the way to try to help them, whether it's with their stance or get off or whatever. So it's something that's always been a passion of mine to lead others. And when I started coaching, that's when it really kind of came to fruition where I could marry my love of, of empowering others with a sport that is a, a violent sport at nature, but, you know, bless the two, bring the two together and just use it as a blessing for, for everyone. Yeah. That's a, it seems like you found the perfect fit for a career, which is, um, you know, some people pursue that their whole lives and, and don't find it. So it's great that you've been able to find it now in terms of, um, you know, I was reading a story about you as I was preparing for this and that, I that saw... always scares me by the way. <laughs> oh Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it back to my parents saying, you know, they're reading the Sunday paper saying, hey, there's a story about you in the paper. Yeah. And it wasn't always good. Yeah. Uh, and it said that one of your first coaching experiences was um, actually teaching kids uh, in preparation for the Special Olympics. Uh, when did you really start to get a sense that you wanted to be a coach? And what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, it, it was from that experience. I had a college professor who had approached myself and, uh, and a teammate. And there was a middle school down the road from our, from our college that had a special needs flag football team. And we thought, why not? What, you know, why not do it? Um, and at that time, I was already studying to be an elementary education teacher. So I, I knew I had a passion for working with children with special needs. Um, it was the very first practice. There was a young girl, I don't remember exactly, fifth through seventh grade or something, who we were five yards apart. And I remember tossing the football to her, both hands, underhand. And she dropped it five or six times. And when she finally caught it, I remember seeing that, that aha moment in her, with a sense of accomplish, accomplishment. And that's the first time I ever thought about coaching. And I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I always knew I loved football. But that was the first moment that I thought, man, I can, I can do both of these. So my, my wife and I got married young. We were 22 when we got married. had two kids right out of the gates. So we've got four young, young adults now and two grand, grandsons. Um, but to my first three years coach uh, teaching, rather, I just taught. You know, my, my fourth year, I reached out to a local high school head football coach and was looking for any opportunity to volunteer at any capacity, whatever, water boy, whatever they needed. 
And it just so happened that this school that was a very successful school um, needed a uh, head freshman coach. And uh, I was not qualified, uh, but for some reason, the, the guy trusted me, gave me, gave me an opportunity, and uh, stayed there for seven years, loved everything about it. In fact, at the end of every year, he had actually, the head coach asked me to come up to varsity. And I was like, Mike, I'm good. I, I like my own little thing down here. I had no desire to even be a varsity coach. Um, and then left there after seven years because I was given an opportunity to, to coach in the town where I, where I lived with my family. After one year there, just knew that it wasn't the right fit. And then I uh, applied to be a head coach at a brand new high school where my, my wife had worked for. Um, they only had a freshman and JV team. And I uh, applied for it and got the job. And that, that kind of opened the door for my first head coaching career. And that, that path itself is a, a beautiful one and a painful one at the same time. Yeah, yeah. No, I know there are different things. You do things as a head coach that aren't so much, you know, coaching from what I hear. You know, you, I talk to so many coaches and it's administrative stuff. It's dealing with parents. It's, you know, you're the face of the program and it's not, you know, there are coaches who do it because they love X's and O's. You sound, I know you do love X's and O's, but you sound like you do it because of the people and the relationships. And uh, sometimes as a head coach, you're not as uh, involved in the day-to-day and some of those th- other parts of the job that you love. Did you find it difficult to make that adjustment, especially, you know, after being a freshman coach for so long? I did. As a matter of fact, I shared with our team last Friday or last Thursday during our walkthrough practice, uh, we were calling out all of the starting positions, the backups, the special teams. And my first year as head coach, and we get our teeth kicked in every single week, bad. Um, I remember seeing there as a head coach in a, in a second quarter already getting beat up looking around the sideline, who do I need to get in? And having to break that mindset, this is no longer freshman football. We right. should have the best and, and compete to win. As far as the administrative stuff and, and meeting with players and parents and teachers, that's honestly one of my favorite parts because you know my goal without getting preachy is I want to win games. And yeah, I'm as competitive as the next guy. I hate losing. But at the same time, as you mentioned, one of your coaches had said, you know, we tell our guys all the time, is the only thing we make them is better football players. We fail them miserably. You know, we, we want to help create champions on and off the field. As cliche as that may sound, that's, that's our goal. Um, so all that extra stuff uh, is part of part of the job I love. And, and I've, I've been blessed to surround myself with great assistants that I can delegate certain things to um, that help lighten the load so I can take care of more of the, the administrative stuff and meeting with parents and players and college coaches. Um, but that, that's all part of it. And, and I think if you're going to have any longevity in this job as a head coach, you, you need to to love all of it. Yeah. And I I noticed early in your career, or even uh, I think at your first ho- head coaching position, you were also the head strength coach. And I know, you know, high school programs have uh, smaller budgets than you do in college. So you don't necessarily need the licensing that you do to uh, do it at the college level or even the experience. What, how did you call upon were you were you using the stuff that you used to do at the college level, or how did you put together your program for strength and conditioning when you became a strength coach? Yeah, I love the way you said that. I was a strength coach at every program, including today, that I've been at uh, by default mm-hmm. because the high schools that I went to did not have one, and the coaches that hired me on knew I had a certain level of, I will not say expertise, but experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, a, and a great passion for it. For me, that's really where you can spend so much one-on-one time training with the players. Um, I look at my first, gosh, five or seven years as, as an assistant coach and what we did in the, in, the, in the weight room. And I don't think I hurt any of the young men, um, but I definitely did a lot of things wrong. Um, and it, it was just going through clinics and, and 
kind of taking what I did in high school and college, but more so going to clinics and learning from experts because I never have been mm-hmm. and really teaching myself and then learning myself to then bring it back to our program. Boyd Epley, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with, was a legend, but still is in my opinion, in the strength and conditioning world. I think he was Nebraska for 30 some odd years. Um, I went to one of his clinics one time years ago uh, with the intention of going to one of the 45-minute clinics and sat through all three of them and the breakout sessions. I went there not knowing him. Didn't He wasn't on my radar for some reason. Wanted to pick up one or two things. And I left there with my jaw on the ground, realizing how much I had just learned and how much I had messed up over the previous year. But but I love it. Yeah, it's. I would love to be at a school someday where we could afford to have a certified strength coach because I'm a huge believer in that. But by default, I just... Uh, I've always been that guy as well. Yeah, I think a lot of programs are like that, you know, where it's the head coach doing it or a coordinator, you know, they're leading the strength and conditioning. And you said you made a lot of mistakes and then, you know, you learned from going to conferences. What were some of the things that you've learned that you've implemented in your program? Yeah, one of the biggest things for me was about the, the importance of one lift building off another. For example, you know, deadlifts, I would let them use the pronated grip, and, you know, splitting their hands sometimes the sumo stance, and Boyd Epley teaching me or reminding me that all of our power comes from our hips, that, you know, your, your, your cleans and your deadlift should be the same foot placement, you know, mm-hmm. and don't worry about the numbers you're lifting, but do that in preparation of the fat switch muscles. I would also allow our players, um, you know, front squats, for example. You know, we have a progression now where we teach our younger players or new players, you know, bodyweight squats, the goblet squats, the what we do zombie squats with your arms out here and the bars on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just the progression of everything. And I feel like I had heard this as a player as far as, you know, form, form, but way too often, especially as a young coach, I got too wrapped up in having our players max out, you know, just tweaking their back a little bit sometimes or just spending too much time maxing out and not really getting bigger, faster, or stronger. So, so a, a lot of that stuff, with, you know, and then teaching our coaches on our staff, the same things that we want to make sure, you know, my first year as a head coach, I would I would have this knowledge and have other coaches in the weight room with me, but I didn't share it or communicate it well enough. And then understanding that not only can I share that knowledge with them, but very often they had knowledge that I needed them to share with me. So that was all part of it. And you talked about communication, which I think it changes all the time. It changes every year. And obviously this year was um, especially different because of the pandemic. Uh, and a lot of coaches follow you on Twitter and they get their inspiration from you. Uh, not, you know, they're inspired by a lot of different things, but they, they find inspiration from what you're posting. How do you feel uh, the role of a high school coach and the way that you communicate has uh, evolved over the last year? Wow. Um, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I, I thought a lot about this, actually, because I was asked a similar question a while ago. I kind of take pride in the fact that I don't think it's evolved a lot over the past year other than use of technology when we need to do Zoom meetings and whatnot. Um, and the, the reason I say that is because I've always believed that culture comes down to communication, comes down to relationships, um, that, you know, getting on a player in practice is part of our job sometimes. And I'm not talking about tearing them down and beating down the person they are, but really getting to them and getting to their heart. Um, so that hasn't changed. It's, it's, if anything, it's magnified the importance of it. Uh, we, we just had one of my coaches on our staff, he's a, he's a retired Navy SEAL, and now he trains Navy SEAL. Uh, I won't share his name right now, but one of his best friends just took his wife, father of two, 
out on the East Coast. This coach, who's a very important coach on our staff, they all are, but he plays a huge role, has been gone all week and will miss Friday's game. And, and I didn't bat an eye at it. He apologized. Like, there's nothing to apologize because that, that's part of life, you know. I, I think the communication is – I think our young men and young women will run through walls for us when they know that we will do the same for them. When they, when they know that we love them, not because they're a stud, but because they are part of our team. And, and the, I, I think it's important – I've seen horrible cases before where coaches pour into those stud players, but you know there's a hidden agenda there. You know, because they're walking by that, that kid that can't put his helmet on straight or can't catch a cold, let alone catch a football. Um, and I think it's important when, when, our, when our star players, if you will, see myself or other coaches pouring into our freshman players or our new players. Or we have a senior this year who I love. This kid, gosh, uh, I'm hoping he gets in this Friday a little bit. Brand new to football, this big, just as big as my pinky, um, and not a great athlete. But he shows up to everything. Shows up to everything, and I'm going to fight as hard as I can to find some way to get him to a game in a safe, in a safe way, um, yeah. to get him some lift. But uh, I think even through all this COVID thing, to get back to your, your initial question, uh, not a lot has changed because for me, it's always been about personally wearing my heart on my sleeve and, and being that transparent leader for the players. And I don't think that's right for every coach. I, I think some coaches are completely opposite and very successful in their own right, not not better or worse, just different. But for me, it's about building relationships. And when you're rounding out a staff, you had mentioned one of your assistants uh, who's going through something now. Do you Are you looking for like-minded people who feel the same way? Or are you looking for guys who have different strengths and can uh, are more of a compliment to you because you know that you're going to be able to connect with the players in a certain way? A little bit of both. You know, I, I definitely don't want a staff that's a bunch of yes-man coaches. You know, always agree with everything I do because then, then I'm, I'm – I'm failing myself and I'm failing our players because I won't get better. And I tell our coaches every time I interview a new coach, I'm like, challenge me. Like, like legit. And I always preface it by saying there's a time and place. Right. Like when I call a stupid play in a game, and I will from time to time, right in front of the player is not the best time. And I, and I won't do that to them either. Um, but I, I want coaches that are going to challenge the way we're blocking something or talk about, you know, part of our off-season conditioning because that's how we're all going to grow. What I do look for in every coach more than a football mind is a person, an individual that wants to empower people. Because I've, I've coached in the 23 years I've coached high school football with some players or some coaches that have played at the highest level in the, in the NFL. Some were great. They, they were all great athletes, obviously. Some of them were great coaches as well, and some of them weren't at all. You know, so, so I think sometimes we can have the best football knowledge, but if we can't get to the heart of a player, and we can't slow it down sometimes, to really make sure they understand it. It doesn't matter how smart I am or any coach is, because we're the ones on the sideline. So yes, that's a part of it. And yes, we need to put those players in position to succeed, but we need to slow the, game, slow the game down a little bit for them so they can fly around the field and be the athletes they are. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I look for when hiring coaches is, is people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, and, and then from there, I, I think you can take someone who has a passion for empowering others teach them how to teach a certain drill or stance or get off. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, and it, you know, it sounds like the culture of your team is so important and uh, you prioritize that. What are some, uh, what, what kind of structure or character building activities do you have in place to make sure that you're really getting through to these people and developing uh, the, the person as well as the athlete? 
Yeah, the, the easiest and, and the most consistent prior to this COVID past year is our off-season strength and conditioning. You know, I, I do that year-round with the players, um, and I try not to miss a single one, although I will for a family situation or something. And I, the family will come first, does come first. Um, but in practice, you know, like most coaches, you have a practice script. There's nine minutes to stretch. There's seven minutes for this. There's 20 minutes for this, whatever it is. And you can you can talk to players a little bit, but for me, it's the off-season where I can pull our quarterback aside if they have them working out with you today and work out side-by-side side with them. We really get to know what makes them tick, what pushes them. One of our starting tackles, our left tackle, is a senior, decent-sized kid, terribly weak, terribly weak in the weight room. I mean, embarrassingly weak. But he starts for us, and he did last year also because he's such a cerebral player. Now, I know when I go to spot Jack in the weight room, if I'm yelling and screaming, getting all amped up, he's going to close up. He, that, that's just not who he is. I need to fit in with him to spot him. I need to almost whisper and just talk to him, let him know I'm there for him. And and he does great things. So for me, that culture is coming down to building those relationships in the offseason. In addition to that, we do leadership council meetings, which uh, I used to have just open up for our seniors, but I open it up for all of our young men now and young women. Because I think that, that those skills can be taught, can never be taught too early. And then during the season, one of the best things, I think, is just sharing meals with each other. You're having those team meals. We always make sure that's myself or another coach or a player sometimes sharing a message with the team on a Thursday meal after our walkthrough. I, I think just like in life, you know, if, if you and I were to get together with our with our spouses or our families and, and break bread together, uh, there, there's a different level of relationship and commitment and an interest in seeing them succeed. So I think that's a huge part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the relationship building is such a big part of the job at the high school level or any level of coaching. Um now, who do you look to for motivation? Are there are there w- people you go to to talk? Uh, you know, when you're getting when you're you need a lift, or where do you go when you're looking for motivation? Yeah, for for, for me, it's my faith, really. And I know that turns a lot of people off and says, "Nah, who do you really go to?" For, for me, my first and foremost, my faith means everything to me, and I try to share that openly, but not be preachy about it, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as other other individuals. Uh, I, I love reading books, and I think it's important to have people, living friends, you know, people you can connect with, not just through podcasts or books. Um, yeah, some, some gentlemen I've coached with in the past, uh, or, or there's, there's one coach on our staff right now, two coaches on our staff right now that I tend to go to a little bit more often than the other, just a tighter relationship. Um, but I, I think that's a big area where a lot of coaches fail, and I certainly have in the past myself 100%, where we see ourselves as the, and I'm not even talking in a derogatory way, but as the alpha male, where we are the head coach, and we have not all the answers, but a lot of them, and we pour into others. It, it's just as important for us, as you mentioned, to make sure that we're being filled up as well, because whether it's a parent getting on us or whatever the stresses are, they're going to come. And if we're not finding that individual to, to go to and be empowered by ourselves or you know, to be poured into, it's going to be a tough battle. So we can't do it alone. Yeah. It's funny when you were mentioning uh, needing someone to look up to who's living, it reminded me, I was watching this interview the other day and the person said, uh, if you could meet any celebrity uh, living or dead, which would it be? And the person responded living. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty good. But um, I wanted to ask, you had mentioned earlier family and kind of, you know, there are times where you have to prioritize family and taking time away or maybe missing a lifting session or something like that. 
And so many uh, coaches, I think, kind of get lost in the fall where, uh, you know, you hear the term all the time, football widows, you know, football coach widows, and they're not prioritizing family as much. And then they try to kind of make up for it after the season. How do you make sure that you and your and your fellow coaches, guys on your staff are, are prioritizing family? Great question. Yeah, I, I hate that term football widow. And obviously, I won't mention names here, but unfortunately, I've coached with several coaches throughout the 23 years. And I braggadociously talked about, yeah, my family knows they don't see me during the season. And sure enough, most of them are divorced now. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you, you don't want to win championship rings, as I said before, and, and lose your wedding ring. Not always easy, but uh, whenever I've been a head coach, we never meet on Sundays. Never. So for me, it's always a family day. Now, when I first became a head coach in, in Bedford, New Hampshire, uh, as I mentioned, the first year we lost every game. So I had a whole coaching staff looking at me after the season saying, Heinz, are we going to meet on Sundays now? Yeah. And I had to just look at him and say, no, for as long as I'm here, we're never meeting on Sunday. And told them why. I wanted to have that balance. Because our, our wives and our children sacrifice enough to not have at least one day during the year. And I'm not saying I won't, especially when my kids are younger, I was certainly breaking down film and doing a lot of work when they were napping or whatever it was. Um, and making sure that my family did not feel like dad was pouring into all these young men and young women for the team that they were on the back. Um, having date nights is huge. My wife and I, she's my best friend and she's been my biggest fan and supporter. And I'm her biggest fan and supporter. But she comes to every single game and, and we'll often date nights during the season sometimes. We're going to go out and scout some other team and go to dinner also. So that, that's part of it. Um, but it wasn't until my third or fourth year as head coach in New Hampshire that we started to really build the program and win a lot of games that our staff started to believe in me in saying that, hey, you don't need to have complete commitment to football to be successful. You can have balance in your life and still be successful. And we do it now. You know, Coronado, we don't meet on Sundays. And uh, there's always a text thread, and there's, there's always different messages being sent, you know, whatever, um, that I'll check and get to. But uh, it, it's important because if not, you know, you're, you're going to be blessing a lot of other families. Uh, but I think we're fooling ourselves. I think so many coaches say we want to bless those we coach to help them be better husbands, fathers, wives. Well, it doesn't matter what we say. They're going to watch what we do and how we live our lives. You know, it might be 20 years down the road that they see that, hey, I'm, I'm in a failed marriage, and most of it was because I put my family in the back burner. We're doing more damage than we are good. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's great to be taking Sundays off. I found uh, talking to coaches, a lot of coaches right now, uh, have found, you know, they're doing more of these Google Meets or their Zooms, uh, and they're saying, you know, the commute time into the facility to get in there on a Saturday or Sunday and review film and put come up with a game plan. You know, you can be much more, uh, you can, the, the amount of time that you need to spend on these meetings, uh, you can cut that down by, you know, jumping on a Zoom or jumping on Google Meets, and they're going to continue to do that even after the pandemic just to be more efficient and to make more time for the family, which uh, everybody has realized is so important uh, during this stretch. Yeah, and one of the things that, that, that is new that we've changed this year because of that, um, I, I've, I've always had coaches on, on, on my, not myself, our staff, where in just one or two of them, and I won't mention names, they would come in on a, on a Saturday morning and say, man, I was up all night watching the huddle, and you know, they'd be real tired and groggy and have their coffee and stuff. And they didn't realize that Hunnell, as an administrator, I can go in there and see how long every player has been on and every coach. And some of them just flat out, and they would, they would be the ones talking the most during the film. So I realized that that was on me if I continued to allow it. And I didn't want to embarrass them and call them out in front of their peers or the players. I wouldn't do that. 
But what I started doing as a head coach now is we've assigned each of our coaches that by a certain time on Sunday, by 5 p.m. on Sunday, they have to have two of our upcoming opponents' films tagged on huddle. Mm-hmm. Now we have some have down and distance, some have the formation, some have the blitzes, all that different stuff. Um, and what it's done is it, it's, I tell them it's going to be done by five on Sunday, but you can do it anytime you want. You can do it Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, but it frees that up. And it's made us all better as coaches because they're coming to film now, our coaches having to have done their homework and it makes them better and see the game better. So that's helped a lot. Yeah. You mentioned your uh, huddle administrator. What other platforms or apps are you using uh, to help you coach? Uh, we use GameStrat. Absolutely love them. And uh, Tunch and Ben, the two creators, I'm not sure if you've ever spoken with them. Yeah, Maybe. yeah. I know Tunch. Yeah. I think the world of them. They are, uh, I, I, I always say it jokingly, and I know they keep getting bigger, um, but I still to this day feel like we're their only customer. Yeah. Because, or our client, rather. Because every time I call, they pick up the phone right away, have the answer to any problems. And I am the least techie coach. I know I've got a good number of strengths. That is not one of them at all. Uh, so we use GameStrap. They're phenomenal. As far as helping me coach, and I know you all understand this, Twitter. You know, I, I learned so much from other coaches on Twitter. College recruiting, that, that's the way it's going now. Mm-hmm. You know, pandemic or not, it's so easy for a college coaching staff to be anywhere in the United States and, and hop on Twitter and find out about a young man or a young woman. We, we also use... Uh, to help with coaching, gosh, uh, yeah, I mean, really, really, that's just those two. We use Huddle, obviously, and then the game threat, you know, for sideline instant replay. Absolutely love them. And I, sometimes I use Coach's Eye on my phone, which is an app where I can just uh, videotape a lift that a player is doing and allows me to slow it down and show them, you know, for example, the clean, to show them that triple extension and, and where they're catching them. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to a coach, um, I can't remember who it was, but a couple of weeks ago who said, He's using Headspace as like a mental, uh, it's basically, you know, meditation, mental performance, uh, that type of thing. Have you found, uh, you know, like as you're in season now and guys have been off the football field for 18 months, is there more attention that needs to be paid to mental performance and mental preparation? 100%. 100%. And we're seeing an issue, and thank God we're, we're heading, as I mentioned, week three now for our season. Right. We saw a lot more injuries. Um, lower back strains and, and things. And I realize the playing fields are all different out here, but Coronado, as I mentioned, and I'm not complaining, but it's just the fact that we couldn't use our weight room, couldn't use our weight. And I know other schools in California could. It's just a different philosophy from the ADs or whatever. Um, so we, we had a lot of injuries that were uh, very easily preventable if you are not in this situation. Um, but, yeah, as far as the mental strength, I've always thought that's a huge, huge part of the game. Um, and even more so now than ever, because I, I think with the pandemic, there are heartbreaking statistics of men and women, our high schoolers and children even younger, who are battling fights or fighting battles, rather, that uh, they feel like they're alone. They feel like they have no one else. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a huge part of it. And I, I'll have to look up that headspace. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, no, I, I haven't done much with it either. But, um, yeah, he was saying he his entire team's on there and they uh, they can really get a sense of... Because it's, it's an app where you just put in, like, how are you feeling today? And you see a guy put in a one out of five one day, you're going to follow up on that, you know, and say, hey, what's going on? Is everything okay at home? And it just gives you a way where if you if you flag that, you know, hey, this, this guy's not feeling great today, you don't have to go around the weight room and kind of whisper to everybody, what's going on with you and your personal life? So it sounded like a good idea to me. I haven't done much with it either, though. 
Um, but Twitter, I did want to ask you about that because you obviously have a huge uh, following on Twitter and have uh, developed it, and rightfully so. You've got great videos and inspiring stuff on there. How did that come about? Like, when did you uh, really start to establish that following? And um, kind of what is your philosophy with how you use Twitter? Yeah, I fought it for the longest time. I, you know, I teach elementary school. I paint murals. So, so Facebook and Instagram for me were perfect media platforms, if you will. Yeah. Social media platforms. My wife, as I mentioned, comes to every game in, in New Hampshire. During the away game, she would be home already watching the Friday Night Lights, if you will, the news broadcast. Yeah. And I'd be on the bus just leaving the other stadium, texting her or calling her saying, hey, who won this game, trying to find out standing. So she just said, get on Twitter. If no other reason, just to follow this guy, this guy, and this guy, because they're always reporting. So I got on there, and then uh, just about the time that we moved out here, about some, I posted a video, a video, don't remember which one it was, but I believe resonated with a lot of people and kind of grew from there. My uh, philosophy, have you ever heard of um, uh, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk? I don't think so. Yeah. So I, I don't know if he's a billionaire yet or not, but he invested in Twitter and he invested in all these different companies and has his own wine company and this media company. Um, he he had come out uh, a while ago when TikTok came out. And I was like, I'm not doing TikTok. I'll let the, the girls do their dances, whatever. And but my philosophy on Twitter is kind of what he shared on his platform about TikTok. And what he said was, it's a free platform. That's it. If you have a message you want to share, why would you not? It's kind of like a billboard. People pay, I don't know how many thousands for a month to put a billboard on the side of a highway. You know, if it's a free platform that can can bless one person, whether it's a coach or a player or a parent, <clears throat> I, for me, I, I want to use my, my social media platforms the same way I coach, just to, to empower others. Sometimes I post something that I'm passionate about and it gets a lot of hate and gets a lot of people. I'm like, man, how do they take it that way? And just, you know, I had something recently about a month or two ago that I thought was a powerful message. And a lot of people did, but there were two people in particular here in San Diego that came after me, like attacked me about all these horrible things. And I didn't get into a Twitter fight. And I got a lot of messages from people, texts, phone calls, saying, hey, those two are always going after people. So, so I realized, you know, you're never going to have anyone that agrees with everything you say. Yeah. You know, and if you're putting stuff out there just to have people agree with you, you're going to fail, you know, in that in itself. Um, but I, I do. You know, one of the best compliments I ever received from a player last year was he was being interviewed by a, a news reporter after the practice, and she had asked about my platforms. You know, and I didn't see this until a few days later, but he just smiled and he said, you know, what the world sees, we get to see every day in practice. You know, and, and that, that's something I'll never forget because it was kind of a, a validation, for lack of better words, from a player who I'd coached for three years that says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but he was saying, coach isn't being fake. Love him or hate him, this is who he is. So I, I, it's a free platform that I think more coaches and people should use to, to share whatever message we want to share. Yeah, I guess, uh, but yeah, you're right. It is a free platform, and I guess that is the cost that occasionally – Guys will, you know, feel like they can say anything on there and attack you. Do you mind if I, do you mind me asking what the topic was that sparked these guys, the, this reaction? I, I don't mind at all. Uh, it, it was the one about, you know, how are we banning Dr. Seuss, but not, but the same companies are promoting music with talking about abuse of alcohol and drugs and women and, and, young, and, and I'll be very quick with this. Nowhere in the video, um, as I mentioned, I have four children. Yeah. Uh, 
Two are engaged now. One's married with my two grandsons. Uh, my daughter, Abby, who's 26, is married to a young man who's black, who is one of the greatest human beings I've ever met. Yeah. It's just such, I love everything about him. And he lived with us for about a year during the pandemic. He was just more convenient. And so I get to know him really well. Nowhere in the video did I mention in the music any genre. Because there's country music that talks about getting drunk and doing stupid stuff. And there's all walks of life. Two particular coaches out here just said, well, hey, your true colors are shown. You're a racist and all that. Just came after me. Um, and he, even even my future son-in-law and his twin brother, they call me coach. Like, coach, are you kidding me? Like, I, that's so far from true. And the good thing is, is there have been things I've posted before where I'm like, what was I thinking? For this one, without putting myself on a, on a soapbox, I, I still stand by it I, because I didn't mention the genre. It's in all genres. Yeah. I, I don't think we should cancel certain things and then just openly say hey these new sneakers that came out have blood in them that talk about satanic stuff and all that that's that's fine um but it, but it is you know my, my wife also said why not just block those people why not just block them honestly it, it, it's uh because there's a part of me that thinks you know there might be something i post a year from now that might bless them yeah. or they keep trolling my stuff and always hate me but that that's not going to change who i am that's a good attitude. I mean, you're never going to please everybody, but, um, you know, blocking them, I guess, you know, they, you, they'd never get a chance to learn from you. So that's a, that's a good approach to take. Uh, and, and I, I will tell you that there's a coach out here. I'll make this real quick. Sorry, Dan. No, go ahead. Um, I love everything about, about football, everything about it. I've never been a huge fan of seven on seven um, because it's not real football. I think there are some good things that come from it. However, there's a coach out here in San Diego and I, I don't know if I'll ever forget this either. I had posted something about three years ago about seven on seven not being real football. And he just messaged me, private message me, and said, Coach, can we talk sometime? And he runs his own seven on seven team. We had such a great conversation. And, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, Coach, for, for our population, the seven on seven that's not during football season, get them off the street. Get them with young men that love them. Get, and I was like, damn, you know, I, I never thought of it that way. I thought of it as people just trying to make money. You're trying to, to steal players from one high school to another. And unfortunately, that does happen in some cases. Um, but if I had blocked this coach a year before when he commented on one of my comments about a post about that, I wouldn't have learned from him. Right. So it, it, it goes both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll give you credit for engaging that way with uh, my, my wife does that sometimes, especially around the election. She's you know arguing with people on Facebook and she's like, well, I want to have a constructive conversation. And I'm like, you know, one out of every 100 of these social media conversations ends up being constructive, but uh, occasionally it'll happen. So you're right. It's it's good to give it a chance. Well, uh, coach, I know you're in season and I really appreciate you've been generous with your time. So I, this is a great way for us to kick off FNF Coaches Appreciation Month. You have an inspiring story. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a blessing on my end to be connected with you. So uh, I appreciate it. Thanks to Coach Kurt Hines for joining the podcast and sharing his experience of inspiring others through his platform. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Kurt Hines. That's at Coach K-U-R-T-H-I-N-E-S. Visit his website, CoachKurtHines.com. Don't forget to give the pod a five-star review on your preferred platform. The FNF Coaches Podcast is an AV Engine production.
Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.